0: The following is a conversation between Sam Teicher, co-founder and chief reef officer of Coral Vita, and Denver Frederick, host of The Business of Giving, on AM 970 The Answer WNYM in New York City.
1: Over 50% of the world's coral reefs have already been lost, and it's projected that 90% of them will die out by 2050. This is not only a huge problem for the oceans and those communities that depend upon them, but for all of us. What can possibly be done to reverse this trend? Coral Vita is a company that is working on an answer in a very creative and innovative fashion. And here to tell us about it is Sam Teicher, the co-founder of Coral Vita. Good evening, Sam, and welcome to the Business of Giving. Good evening, Denver. Thanks for having me on. So let me start with the most basic of questions, and that is, what is a coral reef?
2: That's a good question. Uh, so corals are pretty cool creatures. Uh, believe it or not, they are animals. a hmm. uh, kind of distant cousin of the, the jellyfish. Uh, but a, a coral is also pretty fascinating because as an animal, it's got plants living inside of it that makes rock. So you imagine sort of Finding Nemo or Blue Planet 2, and you think of all the beautiful colors you see in coral reefs. So corals are, are animals that feed, they're growing, but inside of their tissue uh, inside of their skin is uh, a, an algae that not only gives it its brilliant colors, but also helps feed coral as it sort of photosynthesizes and the extra energy goes to the coral, which as it grows as its skeleton, it makes uh, rock. And so when you see coral reefs, what you're seeing are collections of sometimes millions of organisms all living together that are creating a, a living ecosystem that provides habitat for believe it or not, up to a quarter of all marine life in the ocean. That is Um, incredible. In addition to being really cool creatures in and of themselves, are really critical for the ocean, Uh, and one of the most amazing ecosystems on the planet.
1: Sam, uh, in what parts of the world are they most plentiful?
2: Coral reefs are most plentiful in the tropics. Hmm. Uh, So there's nearly 100 countries and territories around the world, actually, where you can find coral reefs, usually in warm places, thinking about sandy beaches and palm trees. Uh, but they're found from Southeast Asia to the Caribbean, Hawaii, the Indian Ocean, all around the world. Um, but that uh, stat I mentioned before about a quarter of all marine life depending on coral reefs is even more astounding for me, at least, because coral reefs take up less than 1% of the ocean floor. That is amazing. So they're found in many places, but there's not a lot of them, but they're still incredibly important for all of us. And what are the benefits of them, then? So coral reefs have a number of different benefits. So with that marine life not only sustaining incredible biodiversity, some of the stuff many people love like turtles and clownfish uh, and stingrays and and all sorts of other sea life, that sea life in turn also feeds uh, people all around the world. So there's up to a billion people who depend on coral reefs for things like food. Uh, as well as with those beautiful reefs comes, a, you know, an amazing tourist attraction. So people spend a lot of money to go snorkeling or scuba diving. And, and even if you do not need of those things and you want to stick your toes in some nice white sand, that white sand usually comes from coral reefs. Mm-hmm. So they power tourism economies. And then as a final piece, they also protect coastlines from storms. So when uh, hurricanes or typhoons are coming through and you got a healthy coral reef off the coast, on average one meter of healthy reef will reduce wave energy by 97%. So in addition to being incredible ecosystems that feed people and sort of sustain economies, they also protect people's lives and homes by sort of acting as that buffer against storm surges. Mm -hmm.
1: Well, in addition to the environmental uh, positive impacts they have, what is their socioeconomic impact on those communities?
2: So those sort of the fisheries and the coastal protection and the tourism value of reefs, conservatively, they generate about $30 billion a year. Wow. So when you're thinking about you know half the world's reefs already being dead and on track to lose over 90% by 2050, that's it's an ecological tragedy. I, I've been a scuba diver since I was a kid, so that really hurts to lose such an incredible life, but that's also the lifeblood of so many communities, nations, and industries all around the world.
1: Mm-hmm. So if I'm living in Nebraska, and aside from being a good global citizen who cares about the environment, why should I care about the coral reefs?
2: Well, if you're in the great state of Nebraska, obviously the only coral reefs that might be around (laughs) you are fossilized from a couple hundred million years ago. So it's a pretty reasonable thought, Why, why do coral reefs matter to me? So if it's something as simple as you'd like a good seafood dinner... Um, if those reefs die, there's no home for the fish, and that food chain collapses. Um, you're, you're not going to be getting that uh, that tasty dinner that you were hoping for. On a more uh, serious level, you know, if people can't feed themselves, if their homes are going underwater, um, if they're not able to pay the bills because the tourism industry has collapsed, you got to also wonder well, where are they going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, for things like uh, the the movement of refugees. Um, really can be spurred in large part due to environmental degradation and and coral reefs, like I said before, sustain up to a billion people around the world. And if 90 percent of them are gone, you have to ask ask yourself, where are these people going to go when they can't take care of their families? Yeah.
1: So we talked about we've lost already 50 percent of them and the projections are to lose 90 percent by 2050. What is killing them off?
2: It's a a series of different factors. So, on the local level, you got things like pollution, Mm -hmm. uh, overfishing, which might not come to mind, but basically, if we're catching all the fish that eat the sort of the plants and algae in the ocean, those are some of the big competitors with corals. So, if corals die, they can come back, but if you can't caught all the parrotfish, for example, which love to munch on algae, and the corals die, then the algae is going to take over and the corals can't come back. So, There are ways to do better types of fishing um, so that we're not harming coral reefs. Uh, we're hearing in the news a lot that there are certain chemicals found in a variety of sunblocks. Uh, oxybenzone is the most common chemical that's bad for corals. So sometimes the the skincare products we're wearing, we could do better. Wear zinc-based sunscreens so you're not harming corals. But really moving forward, the, the big thing is climate change. Yeah, uh, Warming and acidifying oceans are devastating already coral reefs. It's not just some prediction for the future. We've seen incredible spikes in ocean temperatures in recent years that are unparalleled in human history uh, that are killing corals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so moving forward, that's really going to be one of the big threats to their health. Yeah. Well,
1: this is quite the crisis, uh, which brings us to Coral Vita. What is your company doing to address the problem?
2: So Coral Vita is a company I founded with my friend Gator Halper. And we are growing climate change-resilient corals up to 50 times faster to restore dying reefs. Hmm. So in the past 15, 20 years or so, the field of coral restoration has emerged. And listeners can almost imagine like reforestation, planting trees to bring a forest back. We can grow corals and plant them to help revitalize reef health. So what we do at Coral Vita is uh, we've teamed up with some of the world's leading scientists using methods known as assisted evolution to strengthen the resiliency of corals to threats like warming and acidifying oceans, Uh, as well as this new technique known as microfragmenting, where we can basically grow corals that normally take decades to reach the size of a dinner plate nature. We can reach that size now in a few months. Wow! So we grow these diverse and resilient corals and then use uh, land-based farms. So almost imagine an aquaculture facility pumping seawater through tanks, and the corals grow in there for 6, 12, 18 months before we then go back out in the ocean. I often head down with uh, drills and marine epoxy glue and just plug the corals back out into the reef. Mm-hmm. And with that type of work, especially as you know our leaders are putting in measures to stop killing corals by ending pollution and overfishing and addressing climate change, we can help preserve reefs into the future despite the threats they face. And then the last piece of it is that we are doing this as a mission-driven company, Mm -hmm. Um, looking at those values around coral reefs I mentioned before with tourism and fisheries and coastal protection, trying to transition the reef restoration space out of small-scale grant-funded projects to a large-scale self-sustaining industry where the customers who depend on healthy reefs can pay to restore them.
1: Well, let me dig a little bit deeper on all of what you just said, beginning with how do you make corals climate-resistant?
2: It's a great question. Uh, We often get asked, you know, these corals are dying. What's the point of putting them back out there if they're going to die? And it's something that has to be considered. So one of the things we can do is because we have this land-based system, uh, we control the growing conditions in our tanks. Mm -hmm. And so not only can we make those conditions ideal uh, for the corals to grow in, and they'll be happy as is, but we can also look at future projections. For example, temperature rise and crank up the temperature in our tanks uh, and effectively train the corals so that they have this ability to, to sort of internalize these, these new conditions and build that into their own resiliency. And we can see which corals are the winners, which are the losers. Uh, it's worth noting we're always using native coral, whatever country we're, we're working in, so that when the corals we put back out there not only are from that place but actually have been shown to survive better, they're like, oh, I know what the jacuzzi kind of feels like so that they have an ability to withstand these deteriorating ocean conditions as we do our restoration work.
1: Yeah, um, a little bit of natural selection going on, it sounds like, which is really very, very smart. And you also can acidify the water to a greater degree than what they would have been coming from, right?
2: Yeah, so we can also play around with things like pH uh, to help the corals uh, acclimate to to acidification as well. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, you talked a little bit about assisted evolution, and uh, I guess I've read you can grow these things at 50 times the rate of nature. And how does that occur?
2: Yeah, that's pretty exciting. So that's that's courtesy of uh, some research that was done by our advisor, Dr. David Vaughn. Mm-hmm. He uh, sort of helped pioneer this technique known as microfragmenting for the reef restoration field. So the simplest way of thinking about it is uh, a coral, going back to being an animal, it's made up of all these little uh, sort of almost mouths called polyps. And that's where the corals eat from um, part of the day. And they all sort of make clones of themselves as they grow out further and further. And and what we can basically do is cut the corals almost down into the individual polyps So put them into tiny little pieces, separate them from one another, and then they have a natural healing process. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, and then these corals will fuse back into themselves. So instead of one polyp growing into three, growing into 12, growing into 25, and, and for some corals that can take years and years, now that can happen in months so that we can grow something like a big bouldering brain coral uh, in six to 12 months instead of 25 to 50 years.
1: That is incredibly cool. Uh, Sam, do you work with a local community on these projects?
2: We do. That's a big part of our model. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, Gabe and I, you know, we're, I'm from Washington, D.C., from San Diego. Uh, we love the ocean, but at the end of the day, we're, one, we're not from places with coral reefs, and two, whatever country we're working in, the reefs that are in that country matter most for the people who are there. So bringing them into the project, whether it's fishermen, students, local community leaders, you name it, um, is essential for really the long-term success of these projects. So we, um, we actually recently launched our first coral farm down in Grand Bahama mm-hmm. in partnership with the Grand Bahama Port Authority, and we already sort of, uh, we hired our first Bahamian staff member uh, just the other week and are looking to sort of expand it so that eventually this farm will be hopefully run by Bahamians, while at the same time, <clears throat> the farm being on land, we make it really fun, interactive. And informative, So it's it's both a tourism attraction for guests visiting the island as well as an education center for local students. So hopefully we can sort of empower and inspire the, the next generation of ocean caretakers.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, you mentioned a moment ago that you decided with Gator to make this a social enterprise business and not a nonprofit organization. And part of that was because you wanted to accelerate the, uh, the process and not depend on grant money, which also can come with a lot of restrictions as well. So then, who would mm-hmm. your potential customers be?
2: So we'd have sort of two main ways of, of generating revenue. One is selling reef restoration as a service, and the other I just touched on is sort of ecotourism. So, mm-hmm. with with as we grow farms to restore the reefs, we figured let's let's make this uh, a place that people can come visit, and so we'll generate revenue by guests visiting the coral farm. If they're really excited, they can adopt corals, whether they're in person or even on their computers. They can plant them, uh, the corals, that is, with uh, local dive shops. And so you have this whole opportunity to basically um, support our our operations through that ecotourism experience. And then what we're looking at, again, is that, that coastal protection, fisheries, and tourism benefits that reefs provide so we can sell restoration to developers hotels governments coastal insurance companies cruise lines uh, international development agencies corporate sponsors you name it anyone who cares about or a skin in the game on the benefits reefs produce can hire us to restore the reefs they depend on because if they don't take care of these reefs um and they they disappear then they're going to be in a really tough spot because they'll no longer be able to benefit from them like they once were how
1: is that piece of it working? Because sometimes, when a great community benefits from the largesse of a of an individual hotel or a real estate developer, man, everybody wants this to happen, but they don't want to be the ones to pay for it. So, I'd be curious as to how uh, that that part of it has been been going for you.
2: Sure. So, we uh, our first partnership actually was with the Grand Bahama Port Authority mm-hmm. uh, here in Freeport, where we're we're based. We yeah. just launched our first coral farm. Uh, with them, it's the world's first land-based commercial farm, and they basically saw how uh, reefs are really valuable to everything that they care about. And I think a, a good example of how you can sort of navigate this issue of the commons is if you have a, a, a reef off of, say, your hotel and you restore it, uh, the hotel down the road could potentially uh, you know, send their, their snorkeler guests over to that hotel. But one, they won't be able to really kill room nights or or use any sort of positive PR around the work they've done to restore the reefs, but also uh, they won't benefit from that coastal protection value. So right now, actually, Swiss Reeds, one of the largest reinsurance companies in the world, they're piloting a scheme down in Mexico with hotel owners, the Mexican government, and the Nature Conservancy, basically saying, hey, hotel owners, if you pay to restore the reefs off your property, we're going to lower your insurance premiums. Mm -hmm. So if a hotel restores that reef right off their property – they are able to directly benefit from it, and anyone else who tries to dovetail off that, they're not going to get that wave protection value, so not only will they deal with the damages, but they also won't get that premium discount from the insurance company. So it is an important question, and it's one that we're going to be navigating, but when you're able to demonstrate the direct benefits you have to sort of restoring that reef, it makes it a much easier sell to customers.
1: Very interesting. What has the uh, response of governments been?
2: Thus far, great. So the government of the Bahamas fully supports our project. Um, we actually have the deputy prime minister come to our grand opening and give remarks. That's cool. And our plan is to start uh, in 2020, likely, scaling model uh, to countries around the world. We want uh, coral farms in every country and territory with reefs. And we've already started discussions with island nation governments in the Caribbean, in the Indian Ocean, in the Red Sea, Um, who are interested in how uh, large-scale restoration can benefit their community. So we're getting a lot of good response, both from the sort of regulator side of things, dealing with the permits, as well as uh, governments looking at ways that they can tap into international funding mechanisms like the Green Climate Fund or uh, Blue Bonds, debt-for-adaptation swaps, where they can pay for these uh, restoration activities. Mm -hmm.
1: I know you started uh, scuba diving, Sam, when you were 13 years old, but... This certainly is an interesting career path you have chosen. How did it all come about?
2: That is a, <laughs> an interesting journey for me because if you'd asked me five or six years ago, you're going to be a coral farmer, I would have looked at you with an <laughs> odd expression because I would have had no idea what that was. Yeah. Um, I actually, I grew up wanting to work on international diplomacy. Uh, growing up in D.C., I went to D.C. public schools, and I was interested in education reform. But basically in college, I ended up studying climate change when I sort of recognized that it was an existential and direct threat to everyone everywhere and that it touched on some of the issues I cared about. Um, and originally, I was coming at it more from the policy perspective. I My senior thesis was on climate change as a national security threat and was sort of thinking about a range of different things I wanted to do. Got into grad school at the Yale School of Forestry and Environmental Studies, mm-hmm. which is where I met my co-founder, Gator. Um, But I took a gap year beforehand, and I went out to the country of Mauritius in the Indian Ocean, where a friend of mine from college had started up a small NGO called Eli Africa, and he was like, I'd love for you to set up the environmental branch of the organization in your gap year. And I was like, 22, tropical island for a year. I think I can do that. That sounds great. And one of the projects I got going was a United Nations-funded coral farm in partnership with the Mauritius Oceanography Institute. So I got to see fishermen returning to a lagoon they had abandoned – ten years before setting up their traps a hundred yards away from the historic reef because there was so much more life. But what was also clear from that experience was one grant from the UN to restore 5,000 corals isn't sustainable, especially when you think about this being a global problem. um, There are other limitations with the the traditional means of doing coral farming. You usually have underwater uh, coral farms that don't really scale. You can't really grow the corals faster or make them more resilient, not to mention if a storm happens or a fisherman drops his anchor, the whole project can wash away, um, so I knew that there was potential, but also saw that there there had to be something different and better and bigger. And so when I got to grad school, became friends with Gator, and we were thinking about big environmental challenges that policy and academia and, and nonprofits weren't solving quickly or big. Uh, I was about to say bigly uh, to, to to use a famous word of respect, but uh, they weren't doing it bigger fast enough. And um, we thought, what if we create a mission driven business where? Uh, customers that depend on these reefs can pay to restore them so that we, way we can unlock the large-scale reef and needed to keep reefs alive, and, and that led me to launching Coral Vita.
1: Very cool. Well, let me close with this, Sam, and although you are a mission-driven business and I know there are opportunities for people to visit the, the land coral farm, but not too many people are going to be able to make it down that way, is there a way for the public to get involved in this in any kind of fashion?
2: Absolutely. As uh, yes. As far as, you know, you can follow us uh, at Coral Vita Reefs on our social media for Instagram and all that kind of stuff. But we also are um, starting a campaign around adopting corals. So we'd love for people to be able to come down to Grand Bahama as we launch more farms to come to to farms all around the world and and get in the water with us. But uh, you can even uh, just adopt a coral sitting at your computer. How does that work? um, As well as also, so uh, you go on our website www.coralvita.co, uh, not .com, and uh, you can find a, a link to adopting uh, coral and basically we'll grow and outplant a coral for you and you'll get a certificate and um, however many you'd like to adopt if you want to give it as a birthday or a holiday gift um, or you're just feeling like doing something fun for the ocean, you can, you can make a difference yourself um by following on with that the other thing i would also say though um which is really important is that ultimately the best thing to do for coral reefs is to stop killing them and we really need our leaders in government and in business and in the media to really address the things that are killing them um so i would encourage people to, to go out and, and tell their representatives or anyone they know that can make a difference on the policy side of things to really enact measures to take care of the planet because at the end of the day the planet takes care of us. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Well, Sam Teicher, the co-founder of Coral Vita, I want to thank you so much for being here and for such an interesting conversation. It was a real pleasure to have you on the show.
2: Denver, thanks for having me on and looking forward to seeing you on the reefs one day soon.
1: (laughs) Absolutely. I'll be back with more The Business of Giving right after this.
0: The Business of Giving can be heard every Sunday evening between 6 and 7 p.m. Eastern on AM 970 The Answer in New York and on iHeartRadio. You can follow us at bizofgive on Twitter and at facebook.com slash businessofgiving